Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hello everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but I'm having this very hectic, disempowered, sort of nauseous rollercoaster feeling right now as we move through autumn, that I'm somehow, I don't know, employed by my life. Mm. <laughs> And my life won't give me a job description. God, and nice. I should be taking my life to an industrial tribunal because they won't tell me what's happening next. They're not paying me well enough. I mean, I really feel... Not giving you, you a proper holiday? No. I mean, when you are self-employed, you know, in some ways, it's a kind of power move. You take the rough with the smooth. It's a different kind of stress. You don't know where the money's coming from, but also nobody owns you. Um, and that is usually something that makes me feel proud of myself and like I can, you know, go forth and do new things. But, but right now, the new things are sort of flying at me. And I don't feel equipped to field the blows. So um, it, it doesn't feel productive. It feels sort of reductive. And oh. I'm not sure why. No. Gosh, you need to sack yourself and start your life again or something. Well, no, I, yes. Or, uh, yes. Or it's true. If I behave so, so incredibly badly, my life will sack me and I'll go, fuck you. I resign. Fuck you. Exactly. Actually, I resign first. Here's my letter. Maybe you could be my ago. boss. Would you like to run me? I mean, literally, though. <laughs> because, because you're so disobedient. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. I can't get you to do anything. Anyway, I'm also... How are you? Uh, I, hi, I'm Emily. I'm absolutely fine. I'm also experiencing a, a kind of dread. Um, and it's, really, it's a really tiresome one. It is to do with the fact that I know now that it's October and the nights are drawing in. And there are all the perks, as discussed before, like jumpers and kind of, you know, sofas and things. But also the knowledge that eventually, inevitably, we're going to have to deal with January and February. So I've got January dread in October, and it is really depressing. What is it about January that you're dreading? I just think it's the slog. It's the sort of dampening of everything. It's the dark at four and at, you know, six and seven. I don't know. I just Also, feel like... it does strike you at some point that Christmas isn't a holiday. <laughs> um, you don't come back yeah. on what will be, because I've looked it up, the morning of the 5th of January. And <laughs> I go, I feel so refreshed and rested. Hooray! You know, exactly. 2023, yes, what have you exactly. got for me? No, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's really, it just feels really dank to have January depression, January dread in October. Anyway, in your life away. So let's laugh and get cross. Exactly. So anyway, my question to you listeners is, do you have a happy vagina? Do you even know what would make it happy? Healthy, stimulated, a vagina with equal pay and a health industry that prioritizes your well-being? Well, this is why activist and advocate Mika Simmons launched her podcast, The Happy Vagina, to empower women to talk openly about health, relationships and pleasure. Now, she's also an actor and a director and the founder of the Lady Guard Foundation, a charity raising awareness for gynecological cancers. Now she's written a book called The Happy Vagina. Not only does it look at the systemic failure of the health system when it comes to treating or even seeing women, but it also has flying vaginas in it. 
and it is funny and we are delighted, delighted to welcome you to the podcast, Mika. How are you? I am absolutely fine, except <laughs> last week a woman came up to me that I didn't know after I'd done a live recording of the Happy Vagina podcast and she told me that she thought my podcast was playing into the patriarchy and that I was the worst thing that had ever happened to feminism and that I disgusted her. <gasps> Did she explain what you were doing wrong? So the particular episode that we were recording, we were discussing objectification, which I find an incredibly interesting topic. When Dita Bontese came on the podcast, she kind of opened that conversation up in my head where she was saying she thinks the last hurdle for feminism will be for it to be okay for women to say, I want to be objectified. I, I want you to look at me, right? Because at the moment we're in this thing, where we're like, don't whistle at me down the street. Oi, don't even look at me. Stay away, that's sexist. And she's like, well, the next bit will be that we can say as women, I'm choosing to be objectified and looked at in a sexual way. That is my choice. And of course, Dita's going to say that because that is how she makes her living. Uh, but um, I was talking to a young actress about it live on stage and she was grappling with her experience of being shamed in some of the tabloid newspapers. And we had a pretty good discussion about it. But essentially, you know, I was trying to create a environment where this young actress could explore her own experience of it, regardless of where I'm at, you know, 20 years older than her. And afterwards, this lady, uh, woman, raver. She looked like a raver. She, she looked like one of us. She was a raver. I was really, she said to me, she opened with, I only came in at the end of your podcast oh, recording. Okay. Love a yeah. critic who hasn't even watched the whole thing. Yeah, brilliant, thanks. But you but see I... that a lot now. People who won't engage with things because they know they're going to be offended, but criticise them anyway. Anyway, go on. <laughs> like Instagram kind of, Twitter yeah. and Instagram has yeah, kind of like lowered the bar on how much information <laughs> you, you have to know before, before you dive in. Yes, <laughs> very true. So she suggested to me that... Um, that my my podcast was was playing into the patriarchy and to a certain extent it does because I do discuss things in quite a binary way but my podcast I said to her was not for radical feminists maybe maybe my podcast is because I want to get the conversation out into the masses and I said to her that my mum as as you know and, and many people know because of the forming of Lady Garden Foundation died of ovarian cancer and I, and I feel I still to this day almost 10 years on, feel as passionately that these conversations need to be accessible to women who may come from more misogynistic backgrounds or in a more patriarchal environment. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with all the work I do is make it really accessible, commercial and fun so that we can all have the conversation. I know I'm not the only person doing this. It's not kind of rocket science, but that was what I said that to her. Also mentioned that my mum had died of ovarian cancer and she went and I, so I just said, you know, I just, maybe it's not for you, my podcast. So she walked off and then she came back and she said, I just want you to know that I think you're the worst thing that's ever happened to feminism. And you absolutely, can I swear? Mm -hmm. Yes. You do. Fucking disgust me. What a fucking bitch. Where, where <laughs> has, but where has the ability to say, that's just not for me, gone? And then go and find something that is. I mean, you can't, you can't please all the people all the time. Because if you're about everything, then you're about nothing. You do yeah. no harm, but you do no good. Yeah. So how did that make you feel? I was quite shocked. She did say it in front of the people that had organised the event, so that was a bit of a downer on her part. But everyone was quite supportive, and I, it's a funny thing, isn't it, putting yourself out there? Because, as you mentioned at the beginning, I, I'm an actress by trade, and, and I hide behind other people's words. And so 
in a way, the Happy Vagina podcast is my first foray into exposing myself and putting myself front and centre and then with the book even more so to a certain extent. And it was my first experience ever in my life of having someone directly criticise me because of my work that has been born out of my my womb. It's like mine. It's only mine. I can't hide behind anyone. It's your but, vagina on the line. Yes, here. it's yeah. my vagina <laughs> on the line. But I, in all, in but all if it's happy I, enough, it'll be fine. <laughs> so we are almost at a point. Maybe we are even at a point where grown-up women can say the words vagina and vulva without feeling that they are somehow, you know, offending people. Well, it's interesting you say that. But when you put the subtitles up on Instagram and you go and they, they, they write vagina like vagina or whatever they write it as by accident and then you go to change it. The swear word symbols come up. <gasps> it's like I in know. your book, one of my favourite things in yeah. your book. It's, 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 it's not vagina, but it is that, that Siri doesn't know what cunnilingus is. You said to Siri, what is cunnilingus? And Siri said, I don't know what that is. So you asked Alexa and Alexa refused to answer. I mean, Alexa, you are just a tool for the patriarchy. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I know our life-giving bodies are just, you know, offensive. Also, I'd like to apologise to anyone listening to this podcast and, and us saying the word Alexa is triggering their Alexas everywhere. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but ask her again. So vagina is a swear word in some circles still. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a whole load of stuff in terms of literature. I don't know if you've noticed, you probably have, but perimenopause. My, my Apple phone doesn't know how to spell that. If oh. I spell it wrong, it does not have a version in the phone so neither does it have vagina, neither does it have clitoris. It's like one of my favourites. I don't know why, well, I do know why, but I can, I consistently, repeatedly forget how to spell clitoris. <laughs> and I tell you what, that my Apple Mac does not help me. <gasps> I, can't I have spell to go mis- and Google it. I, I have to Google it. I, I believe you, I can't spell misogyny. Nor can I, I don't know where and, the I goes or and, where the Y goes. And, and it doesn't, and autocorrect doesn't <gasps> do it either. Yes, so isn't that interesting? Ah, but you are right. We are making strides. So I'm, I can't deny the fact that, you know, with my book, when it came out on the 4th of August, Nahal, who has a BBC Radio 5 Live, and I told him that when I went on um, Laura Whitmore's show in the pandemic, they cut, they cut me out. Laura would be like, how's the happy vagina? And we'd have a bit of a chat about the happy vagina at the beginning. I was going on as a newsfeeder to talk about women's politics or health. And afterwards, I'd listen back and I'd be like, oh, where's that really interesting, funny thing I said? <laughs> and it gone because of the word vagina? They'd have cut it out because they've got so many complaints. So I was chatting to Laura about this in front of Nahal at her book launch. And Nahal was like, right, let's get you on the, let's get you on my show. So I went on a men's show. He's the first man that's asked me to come on and talk about my work in this space. And we said vagina a lot. He said it, I said it. Dr. Gita Nagan said it. <laughs> like, <laughs> everybody said it. Are there, I wonder if, if, if some man, I don't know why I use that in inverted commas, but anyway, um, it, some man wrote the happy penis. I mean, that would probably get free Facebook ads. But imagine the, the, imagine the uproar. <laughs> Where is there an unhappy <laughs> penis, you motherfuckers? <laughs> Been waited on hand and foot bless, for millennia. Bless, bless, bless the man that I go yes, to have exactly. dinner, not, not dates, but if I'm at a dinner party, they all say, well, I'm going to start the happy penis. I'm like, go on then, let's collaborate, let's do it. I'm really happy to hear about your happy penis. <laughs> but vagina and vulva, we have to get the vulva in there. When Natalie Campbell came and did a campaign with me for the happy vagina, I said to her, she said, I love the word vagina, I love it, it's beautiful, it's a beautiful word. And I said, do you feel the same way about vulva? And she actually said, yes, but then I went and asked a whole load of people and they were like, no, vulva somehow or other 
isn't as a powerful a word. Oh my I'm, God, it's branding. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is branding. Vagina, we need to rebrand the vulva. <gasps> it sounds like vagina. It sounds and like... vulva sounds like a car, boxy yeah. but good. Yeah, great. <laughs> 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 not exactly a fully electric situation. <laughs> <laughs> But also, you know, this that you know the, the vagina and vulva. You were talking about girls, and and you're so interesting in your book about the dichotomy that's led women throughout thousands of years to feel such confusion because they're both, you know, held up as divine mm. beings, givers of mm. life, and goddesses, mm. and um, and they're meant to be, you know, very sexual and you mm. know, and, and 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 active within that, and also mm. um, slut shamed, uh, locked in perpetual virginity demanded, uh, female hysteria, you know, sort of, you know, used as patriarchy's greatest tool, really, to keep mm. keep everybody oppressed. So, the, so, so how are they meant to know how to take up their space in this world? Yeah. Are they meant to be sexual goddesses or, mm. you know, or, 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 or repressed virgins? Mm. Mm. Um, so it's quite hard to know how, for you, in a way, to navigate through that. Yeah, I think... I guess for human beings in general, we are raised by parents and then we have to find our own voices outside of what our parents gave us. And I was very lucky. Both my parents were feminists when I was growing up. So I had an, an open-minded childhood in terms of women's power. But equally, my mum was raised in the Catholic Church, so we did not talk about sex. So I've had quite a journey for myself and I'm still on that journey and I think you know there isn't a right or wrong answer to your question because I think it is a very deep I think our relationship as human beings in general no matter what your gender is the relationship with one's body with one's sexuality and one's health is a very very deep and long journey and it changes so just the other morning I woke up and I thought oh maybe and this might be the onset of perimenopause, by the way, but I was like, oh, maybe I am just a really sexual being. And I know that might sound odd, but I think because I was so slut-shamed as a teenager, I've basically been sat in the camp of, I'm a really monogamous person, and, uh, you know, and I, and I still don't know what the answer is. And, I, and that's okay. And so... Think, Maybe you're yes, a bit of both. Maybe we're yeah. all a bit of both. And it changes daily. And that's kind of my response is that I don't think we're ever going to be able to lock down, whether it be a, a national consciousness, which is really what, what or an international consciousness, which is, which is really what, what you're talking about is like, how do we lock it down? And I think the way we lock it down is we get more open minded. Yeah. And we say, do you know what? Let's try and just get to know ourselves outside of the patriarchal system or the school system or the work system that you were talking to, you know, you're the slave to your life. Like, try as much as we can with the assets that we have and the tools that we've got at the point in the, in the life that we're at to stay connected to us yeah. and how we feel and what we want and what's okay for us. And that's the greatest gift you can give yourself. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it, it can be, you know, maybe it's getting easier, but I think that, you know, it was also complicated by the fact that you know, you, you talk in the book a lot about, you know, medical gaslighting and misogyny, mm. about the fact that the basics weren't covered. Mm. You know, no one knew anything about our bodies. You know, women's bodies were not used for medical te testing and drug testing till the 90s. I know. So, so in a way, we now have a more solid foundation in order to find that kind of acceptance and open-mindedness. But it was, a, it was a battle for gynecological survival, not to mention actual survival. 
This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now, you guys know that we're not shy about getting things off our chest. The tiny inconveniences that can ruin our days to the big, overwhelming worries that can flood our nights. Trouble is, we all got into the habit of saying, I'm absolutely fine. Emily and I added the but specifically to get off autopilot and give ourselves the space to say what we were really experiencing. But we weren't always so free with our inner furies. A few years ago, I began experiencing debilitating panic attacks because I felt I couldn't tell anyone all the things that I was feeling, that I was not coping, that I felt like a failure. I was so ashamed, so I kept it all bottled inside. And of course, it started leaking out. It was only when I found a therapist and began sharing those doubts and insecurities with her that the panic began to dissipate. Because therapy can be a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash midult. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash midult. Better help, because sometimes the best thing to do is acknowledge that we are not, in fact, absolutely fine. Yeah, essentially what happened in women's health was, and this is, again, really important. It's important to be really angry with the past and also to honour the decisions that they were having to make at the time. But before cadavers, so which is a dead body, for anyone that doesn't know, were allowed to be taken out of the earth they had to kind of make stuff up about health right so you had this guy aristotle who was not even a doctor he was basically a philosopher who was making all sorts of stuff up about our health and was he the like one his... was he the one who said that the uterus moved around the body like an animal <laughs> or was no. he the one that said period blood turned to milk no that was garland <laughs> no, so uh, many uh, of these Arist- Arist- aristotle didn't say anything actually about our anatomy he was the person that proclaimed that a woman was an inside man so basically that we were ba- we were kind of like you know the kind of adam and eve thing about how oh, we're like, like an the, inversion like a, yeah, yeah he was you know so it was a bit more philosophical than that but you can't blame them because they the church, which has got a lot to answer for. I'm uh, sorry if you're religious. I really, me too. I believe in God, but oh my God, the church. So the church <laughs> basically wouldn't let, wouldn't let them cut bodies up because everyone back then there were no MRIs and everyone thought that the gods kind of like would come and do terrible things to you if you disturb stuff. Right? I mean, they they were genuinely fearful of what would happen if they cut up a dead body. Then they got to the point where the church agreed that they could cut bodies up so that they could create what become modern medicine, but that they were only allowed to cut the bodies up or, or bring out of the ground the bodies of people that had done something wrong. So essentially criminals, <laughs> right? Uh, mostly hung, buried in the ground. Now, at that point in history, there were m- many, many more men who were, uh, were, were caught and then put to death because of doing criminal acts. At, there weren't that at many. At that women. point and every point in history. <laughs> at every point in history. And also, I mean, they did. there were the witches, of course, who were those terrible, terrible, terrible Awful healers. Well, they deserved they burnt, everything they got. They burnt them. So you couldn't use their bodies because no, exactly. they were, like, burnt. Um, so <laughs> so, so once, once, they, once they were able to look at bodies, there was a deficit of women's bodies, right? And also the other thing that I would add to it is that we were living in a time in history when... 
people moved around the men did so the women stayed at home with the children much better set up I think I would have had kids if I'd have if it had been like this you're going to be with all your girlfriends bringing your kids up <laughs> I think I might have gone I don't think I'd be child free today <laughs> the men go out to work travel around the country get hung <laughs> and then get chopped up yeah <laughs> so essentially that both both the way that we lived then and the fact that because men were travelling, they were therefore more susceptible to getting into the old fight and then getting killed for it. Anyway, so so women's bodies weren't properly examined and it created a sort of fear-mongering, really, of women's bodies. And one of the things I talk about in the book, which is literally one of my favourite facts, is that um, da Vinci, so, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, who's like one of our greatest dead artists who um, who created these... He, he's He's kind of renowned for his anatomical sketches being like the most amazingly detailed real ones that were ever created by any artist ever and wasn't it amazing that he managed to do it well he used animals horses to draw women's bodies the internal organs of women's bodies because he couldn't because he couldn't get any women <laughs> it was a normal body from the outside but it had like a cow's uterus on the inside right yeah yeah exactly and in a weird way that i mean i don't know if you know this but it's only this year, for the very first time in 2022, that they've created 3D robots that are properly in the shape of a woman. So what they've had is the man's frame with the woman's bits. And they've just gone, OK, so a woman is tends to be naturally more slender than a man. And they've actually made one, a 3D uh, model, that for, for teaching, educational purposes. So the students that are coming through the medical schools now are actually being taught on a proper woman's mm. diagram. So that's exciting. But you know, but it's still not even, it's optional for GPs to take a woman's health section in their exams. It's I optional. I that. Yeah. They I don't have I, to take a women's health sort of like module or whatever. I think we need to look into that because when I met with Carolyn Harris last week, who's on the menopause task force and led the charge on that work, she told me that it is now actually uh what's the word for it when you when it's part compulsory of the compulsory thank but you but only thank now you. right yeah and what she was saying is that that means that those students won't be graduating until like 20 i you know whenever it is so she was saying it's it's not enough because we've then we've we still got a gap and i thought that was really interesting mm. but in terms of the gaslighting you know that's yes. what we were dealing with back back then is that that essentially that, that i they they did their best, but no, it was not good enough. And because the doctors then didn't understand women's bodies, and I, th- what happened was because I do think, and this is possibly controversial, but I do think that women are a bit more hysterical than men. I certainly would say that, and some of this is nurture. So some of this is the way that we're trained and the messaging we get. But my monthly cycle throughout my life has at times made me pretty fucking crazy. Like, yes, really you know fucking batshit crazy. You might have been a bit of a bitch, but you probably wouldn't have started a war. So no, it depends what true. you mean by hysterical. That's true. That's absolutely true. But in terms of health and a woman going into a doctor's before they had proper anatomical training in women's bodies, I think they just didn't understand, you know. So then what they did, they started to make stuff up, as you've already referenced, Annabelle, about the... So there was one particularly brilliant... Uh, suggestion that the womb wandered around the body banging into other visceral organs like the spleen and they knew about the spleen because because obviously men have spleens as well so and, and the, if they wafted a, a candle 
underneath the vulva and vagina canal, then the the womb would be wooed, wooed back into its place. Wooed back into its place. So they made up stuff like that. But most importantly on this, which is the thing that's been most devastating for women's health, is that they suggested that some of our moods and distraught behaviour, but the emotional experiences were very, very poorly understood and respected. A woman in perimenopause, for example, maybe early perimenopause, they just basically started this idea that women could catch this thing or have this thing, this disorder, which has only recently been taken out of the American Medical Dictionary, called hysteria. Now, men can't have hysteria. Only women can have hysteria. And hysteria is the answer for a lot of different things that are going on, whether a woman wants to have sex outside of marriage, whether she masturbates, whether she can't get out of bed because she's depressed, maybe postpartum. So... That's how medical gaslighting started. And also it's happening in a different way, of course, with, with perimenopause and menopause now. It's like, think of all the inappropriate prescriptions for antidepressants that are being handed out. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't meet the threshold. You don't it's meet terrible. Do you still have periods? You don't meet the threshold. And that really needs to be addressed. I mean, I, I was with a girlfriend, a British girlfriend, who I went to uni with in Leeds, and she's living in New York now, and she says none of her friends can get HRT in America. It's just not... They are 100% still prescribing antidepressants. Mm. I do think it's changing in this country. There's a couple of things that are really important. And actually, I just started taking HRT last year and um, it's changed my life. Has it? And I'd been, yeah, I'd been getting recurring cystitis and bits and pieces and and, and it's all gone and I'm totally fine. And um, I was chatting to someone about this last week. There needs to be a massive overhaul in the very first question being, how are your periods? Because as you've just referenced you can still be getting... So last year, I had all my periods. I missed two. That's not a lot of periods to miss. I've had that happen to me before. And and I'm really sorry, but I felt... I said this to, to a journalist and they ran with it as a headline. I was really fucked off with them. I said that I had felt like I had ants running under my skin, um, which made they made me sound like I was crazy. I actually. think... No, no. I think that's one of the symptoms. You know there are like yeah. 65 symptoms of perimenopause. I yeah. think that's genuinely yeah. one of the symptoms that doctors don't know about because they're not trained. Yeah. Yeah, you know th- things like yeah. that, or joint pain, or headaches. Yeah. But the answer yeah. to the skin thing, I'm sure I've heard yeah. that before. Yeah, I felt anyway. They they said Mika Simmons has this strange response to perimenopause having ants. I know, fuck off. It was a woman as well. Anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I just don't blame journalists. Um, blame the editor. Yeah, that's yeah. Journalists don't write the headlines. Yeah, there is that. Or don't blame anyone. Just go and meditate. No, Put it I <laughs> What's wrong with you? But, but it wasn't just you know, medical gas gaslighting. Also. Industrial, technological, I mean, even though we now know that, you know, even in this day and age where female pleasure is taken much more seriously than it was, 99% of men are going to have an orgasm during sex and something like 58% of women. Um, you think. Is it? Probably. Yeah. I mean, if that. Yeah. Um, the, you know, vibrators were marketed for men. They were marketed <laughs> for men with back pain and headaches. <laughs> yeah, those poor men. Yeah. <laughs> that poor yeah. Men, men who have a pain tolerance that is one-tenth of a female pain. Is that, is that correct? Ah, uh, it's really interesting, the tolerant, the pain tolerance thing. I, I have got that in my book and there are a couple of things. That um, and also regarding the suggestion that women's eggs aren't necessarily on a downward decline, which I put in the book, which since I wrote the book, there's been some more research done in it. And so with the, I put in the book that 
you aren't necessarily definitely born with all the eggs that you have got for your lifetime, which is one of the suggestions. And they're now thinking that actually you might be, but there may be some ways with stem cell research to repopulate your eggs. So that's kind of still exciting, but slightly uh, a mistake. Not a mistake, it was right at the time. And <laughs> then with the pain threshold, it's really interesting because they're now looking at it from the point of view of the medical gaslighting like I think they're now going deeper into it so they've always that has always been a suggestion that's absolutely right they've been suggesting that women have a higher pain threshold than men oh, of course we have because we can birth a baby etc uh, etc et I see what and you're now saying I think as we go deeper into it it's like is that really true oh I see what actually in order to say we're not going to treat you because it, you're basically no, fine no 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 in order to say don't... in order to say of course you don't need an anesthetic to have your yes. coil fitted yeah 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 you know, imagine if men, have, I mean, I, I haven't had it done, but apparently Catherine Moran wrote about this. Yeah. I mean, it's mm. it's medieval and they just say, mm. take a deep breath. Mm. So maybe the pain health threshold, I think this is what you're saying, that they're saying women have higher pain thresholds so they can say you don't need anesthesia for the things that we're about to do to you. There's There's that and there's also just the lack of research. Like, how can you say... A woman has a higher pain threshold when women haven't been included in trials. Yes, well, quite. And women, ha- and and we haven't had a three D skeleton of a woman's body. Like, it's 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 a little bit like I wrote a piece for the Evening Standard, which was really controversial, but I stand by it a hundred percent. And I've pissed off a lot of charities, but that's fine with me. So I obviously I started Lady Garden Foundation because Mum died of ovarian cancer, and for the first so from two thousand and thirteen when I started that project through to. About two years ago, I've been repeating this trope that ovarian cancer is a silent killer. And there's many reasons for that, which is that it, the symptoms don't really show up. And when you get it, therefore, it's stage four and therefore very... very I mean, of, of the gynae cancers, uterine is the most common womb. Cervical cancer is the most treatable and catchable. And ovarian kills the most women. So that's created this thing called the silent killer. And then I'm writing the book and I'm finding out what happened to women's health. And I'm like, well, is it really a silent killer or is it that we just don't understand the ovaries? Because the ovaries were only dis- discovered. I don't even know. I don't, we have to have a different word for that. But I don't know. Like the Americas. The, the, the ovaries. Was the it, ovaries. Now, Mika, was it also Captain Cook? <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to believe this, fellas. Definitely a man. Think, yeah. or, maybe course, man. I mean, or maybe what's his name came back for Elizabeth I with some tobacco, a potato and an ovary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was his name? Sir Francis Drake. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Horrible histories. Yeah. So, the, you know, if the ovary... So I was like, OK, and this is, this is speculation. It might be that the symptoms are completely un- unrecognisable and all those sorts of things. But if the ovaries were only discovered in the 19th century. So we've only been researching them since the 19th century. I'm so sorry, but I will not say that the cancer that killed my mother is a silent killer. I would say that the patriarchal medical system doesn't understand the ovaries well enough. Mm. So step up, get to know the ovaries. If you know everything that there is to know about them and how they work, Mm. because they're a really core hormone area for the rest of the body, do all your research, get to know the body inside out then tell me it's a silent killer and then I'll start saying it again. I think that with women's bodies, we almost have to start again. Like, we're only just being included in scientific trials. Like, it could be that we land in the same place in 10 years' time and that actually testing medications on men has been sufficient. Mm. I don't know. I'm not a medic. But once we've had a period of time that women's bodies are treated with the respect and the investigations and honoured in the way that I think we're coming towards now, 
then let's create these kind of like banner headlines about women, whether or not we really do have a higher pain threshold. Or maybe maybe we have a higher pain threshold when we're ovulating, but not just for our periods. Mm-hmm. I, I know that my, my, my bikini wax lady says, don't come and see me before your period because yeah. it's going to hurt like fuck. Oh, that's a rookie error to go for a wax before <laughs> your period. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I mean, you start and end your book by basically telling your reader you're a goddess, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Mm. Mostly my work is about women, but I think men have a goddess in them too. Mm. And I think unless we really find that inner divine place in us, we can't do the things that we were chatting about sort of in the middle of the podcast mm. about tuning into your health and stuff. It's like we're so we're so shamed as human beings. The shame that we carry with us through life that takes us all of our lifetime to unpick that the, the, you know as we were talking about the the systems that kind of keep us in our boxes so that we won't step out of line and it's like come out of that and for me as a woman find the deepest glory in yourself as a as a woman you know i wonder if some of that potentially comes with menopause mm-hmm. um i mean i'm not there yet it has been, you know, it's, you know, it's held up as a sort of horror show. But actually, if it's managed, can it be a power surge? And I, and Emily and I both love the Native American saying that you include in your book. And you said, at her first, or they said, at her first bleeding, a woman meets her power. During her bleeding years, she practices it. At menopause, she becomes it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Let's all become yeah. our powers. Yeah, the divine feminine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. once you once you you hook into that inner power, and no wonder they burnt the witches because mm. it's it so potent. I know, and they thought that skirt raising the ancient Greeks, you lift up your skirt and you know whatever lightning will shoot the from power your vagina. Well, yeah. well, no, that we would the flying vagina. So the goddess what? who lifted up her skirt detached her vagina and sent it flying off to oh. um, you know attack well, men. I mean, in a really basic way coming from a child free woman it's like it's not rocket science that the area of someone's body that can birth the next part of our race should be held up in the Mm. very highest esteem Mm. and I tell you another thing that I was thrilled to discover in your book because I thought I knew not uh, by no means everything there is to know but I thought I knew what every bit of the vagina and vulva and you know those sort of Mm. reproductive organs were called but Emily and I were, dis- we were delighted to, to discover over the weekend that we have a vestibule. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one downstairs to keep the drafts out and I've got one in my knickers to keep the drafts out. So the vagina has a vestibule. I also, re- I also really like the fact that the vaginal canal, like when it's relaxed, touches. Like it's not oh, yeah. the idea the of... The sides us. touch. Yeah, the sides touch. And I, I thought that was really interesting in terms of the imagery of women as sort of being like open for business, like, you know, the property, open for business or any of that sort of awful thing. But it's thing. our erection. Emily, it's our uh, erection. No, seriously, yes, though. Like, mean. a man's penis elongates and widens a bit, and our vulva plumps and the vagina, the canal, the actual vagina, not the general term, opens up, ready to allow something to come in. It's like, we're so not that different to men. This kind of, like, really phallic, my penis is getting hard, <laughs> and I'm, like, coming for you with my sword. It's not, you know, and on that, I mean, literally, my favourite fact in the book is this 
this uh, leading on from that is that the eggs choose the sperm. I don't know if you clocked that bit. Yes, I did. That we think of them as just sitting there waiting to be penetrated again. And this army. I, mean, I don't know about you, but when I was at school, literally it was like this. The pictures yes. of this sort of like sperm army. I totally agree. Who's going to get in? Yeah. Who's going to? Who's the one that's going to win? Yeah, the egg? really testosteronean kind of like. Wow. Competitive. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so like as the vulva opens and then the vaginal canal opens when you are aroused, when you are ready to conceive with someone, the egg chooses which sperm it would like to allow to come in and percolate it. Right, I mean, it's so empowering. I mean, I, I tell you what, my 20s dating, if I'd have known that, <laughs> rather than in my 20s being like, please like me, I'd have oh been my like, God. Um, oh, don't actually, stop. I know, please. But this like is me. this this kind of stuff that where this is where the goddess stuff comes from, right? This is the divine feminine. This is this is where, and it's not better than men. It's just it's about understanding our own anatomy and allowing that to come into our psycho emotional well being, and. And allowing those new that new messaging to be the fulcrum that we pivot around as a woman. That that it's not I'm better than and I'm strong and I'm and I can take this and do it. It's like, oh okay, my body's really intelligent and it can make choices in the same way that a man's can. And that's really, really exciting, mm. you know, to understand. Yeah, it's all about choice, isn't it? Well, congratulations yeah, on your book. We loved it. We loved it. It made us laugh. It made us furious. Yeah. All the good stuff. And um, the podcast and the educative and the advocating for, you know, gynecological cancers. You go, go. We wish you every, every success with the book. And please come and talk to us again. Um, because so it's much. been an absolute yeah, joy, Mika. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Midalt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. Hi, my name is Kay Adams and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.